if you would turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, I'm going to ask my brothers to, to come. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to look at, pretty much dive in and out of the entire chapter, but we'll just read verses 13 through 25. A few weeks ago, uh, Minister Westbrook preached from this passage, but he preached Matthew's perspective from it and did an excellent job. So today we're going to dive back into this passage and we're going to look at it once again and see uh, what, what we can, how Mark used this passage and what Mark, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wanted us to receive from it. So we're jumping right in the middle of Jesus telling a parable. A parable is a, a small story or, or group of statements that really has and carries big truth. So we're going to dive into Mark chapter 4, verse 13. And if you would, if you're visiting with us, we'd just like to stand during this time just to acknowledge that this is God's word. What a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 13, and the precious, authentic, inerrant, sufficient, magnificent, powerful word of God reads, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So our uh, amazing Savior, Jesus, 
has begun his ministry, and he's going around preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. He is proclaiming to people that life with God is once again possible through him. And his fame is spreading all throughout Palestine, and people are taking notice. He has a, a large gathering, a large crowd. In chapter 4, verse 1, we see this. A large crowd is gathering around, and he's forced to preach from a boat. And we see that he begins to speak to the people in parables. Chapter 4, verse 3, he says, Listen! A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And what we read previously as we all stood was Jesus explaining this parable. In essence, Jesus is showing that the seed that the sower is sowing, it represents the word of God. And in Mark's account, the ground represents the heart of people. And what Jesus is showing overall is this, is that those who are a part of his kingdom, Mark chapter 1, those who have followed his invitation and taken his invitation to follow him, are those who will bear fruit. Bear fruit means it is those whose lives will show evidence of accepting life with him and choosing not to be kings of lords or their own life. And he shows that the sower is going out and he's sowing this seed. And unfortunately, the majority of the time that the seed is sowed, that the word is preached, it is rejected, which makes us think, if Jesus, which he is, if he's so awesome, if he's so amazing, then why are people rejecting him? If he is casting out demons, if he can feed the multitude with fish, uh, with, with a few fish and five loaves, if he can heal someone just by speaking the word, if he is walking pure and without sin, why is it that he is being rejected? This text today is going to help us to understand that, but more importantly, this text today is going to help us who are Christians to see how great our God is despite of our failures, despite of our shortcomings. And for those of us who are not Christians, it's going to call us to reconsider that and to see Jesus as who he is. Now these brothers have come and they're sitting here because I want to put uh, uh, some, some flesh on this parable, so to speak. I want to make sure that we, we understand exactly what's going on in this parable and we look at it from the eyes of, 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 of every day, okay? So what they are representing here are four gentlemen, 
who are a part of a church. And these gentlemen went away for a man's conference. And a man's conference was off the chain. And all of them heard the same preached word throughout the conference. And they, after the conference, one of the gentlemen, whose name was Phil, that'll be Dick and Carter at the end, he said, hey, let's get together in three weeks and let's talk about how we're going to and how we have applied what we heard today to our lives. So they all was like, yeah, let's do that. Let's get together. And in three weeks, we'll, we'll talk about what we heard and see how this, this word impacted our lives. So this is three weeks later. They're at a coffee shop. They're at uh, Starbucks. And they're just kind of kicking it. They're chilling. And each person is going to represent one of the, the soils, so to speak, that was in the parable. So this is going to be one gentleman. His name is Jordan. Everybody say, hi, Jordan. Now, y'all didn't say that right. Say, hi, Jordan. Hi, Jordan, say, what's up, man? <laughs> and wherever there's a Jordan, there needs to be a Pippin. So this is Pippin. And wherever there's a Pittman, there needs to be a Rodman. So this is Rodman. And this is Phil, all right? <laughs> so y'all say hi, fellas. All right. So they're at coffee. They don't know that you guys are here. They are beginning to talk about what has taken place at this conference. So let's look at the Bible. Let's look at this text as Jesus continues with this parable. In verse number 14, listen to what Jesus says. He says, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So in the parable, the first soil was a soil that was called the path. It was a soil that was called the path. The path is going to be represented here by Jordan. And Jordan uh, didn't know that he was going to be the path before he sat down. Amen? So he's going to represent the person whose heart is, is hard. He heard the word preached, but something is going on in his heart that won't allow him to be productive. That's, that's keeping him from accepting Jesus as Lord and being a part of the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that, that Jordan, the path, that, that, that his heart is hard. And in the parable, it actually said that, originally Jesus said that a, a bird, he gave an illustration of a sower coming and sowing the seed, and a bird came, and a bird right away came, and he devoured the seed that was sowed. He took the seed that was sowed. And then Jesus explains, when he's explaining to the disciples, when he has them away, he explains that that bird represented Satan. So while the word of God is being preached, there are some people's hearts that are hard. And Satan is coming, and as they hear the word, he is snatching the word from them, like a bird. He is snatching it from him. So Jordan is sitting at this table, and they're chopping it up. They're talking about last weekend. And at first when he received it, he really just came because he respected the men who invited him. But he really didn't have an interest to come. And so he's just kind of sitting there drinking coffee. And he's like, yeah, I'm here. But in his mind, he doesn't want to be here. So in this made-up conversation, as they're talking about God's word, he's trying to change the subject. 
as they're talking about God's word, he's quoting philosophers that would say otherwise than what they are saying. As, as they're quoting God's word, he's bringing up the Big Bang Theory and evolution. As they're talking about God's word, he's doing everything he can to avoid the word of God. Because that seed that was sown was snatched up from Satan. Snatched up. See, the path is hard. The soil that Jesus talked about is a path. And what he means is that it is a, it is a place where, on a path where many people walk. And if you ever go to a forest and you see a trail that has been, that has been made where the leaves are all compounded and it's just hard and it's not like the other, it's because so many people have walked. So many people have walked on it. So many people have just, just, just walked on it. And this, this is what Jordan represents. He represents that person who is just kind of eating off of everybody's table, every philosophy. He, he represents that person who says it's many ways to God. He represents that person who says it doesn't take all of that, Satan is continuing to snatch, his, snatch the word. We all know people like that. And there may be some in here today who even as the word is going forth, Satan is snatching it from you. He's telling you, don't listen to him. He's telling you, this is, this is foolish. He's telling you that it, it doesn't take all that. He's telling you that Jesus isn't the exclusive way. Satan is coming and he is snatching that seed from your heart. He is doing everything he can to distract you from seeing Jesus. Psalm chapter 1 says, happy is the man, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The person who is on the path, their delight is not in God's word, but rather it is in scoffers. And they may not know it. They may be a nice person, a genuine person, a likable person. But they're not who God has called them to be. So that's Jordan. And this, this, is, this is Pippin. And Pippin is going to represent the second soil. So let's look at the passage real quick. And let's go to verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So Jesus then tells a, 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 gives another illustration as he continues this story. And he is now talking about some rocky soil, some rocky ground. And he's saying that a sower goes out and he sows some seed amongst a rocky ground and it, the seed kind of just, just bounces around and it finds a home and it, it goes into the ground. But as soon as it begins to go into the ground, the root springs back up. And what that represents is this guy. He's chilling. He's at the coffee shop. They're talking about the word that was heard. And he's kind of got this attitude that says, you know, three weeks ago I was really excited. They're like, yeah, man, you were, you were the most excited out of us, you know. When the word was being preached, he was probably saying amen and, and running around. And, and when the songs was being sung, he was just as charismatic as could be. And everybody's just thinking like, man, this man really loves the Lord. And, and, and he leaves and he's excited for a day or two or for a week or two. But all of a sudden, tribulation hits. And the text says that it hits on account of the word. 
which means that maybe he's at work and he's telling his co-workers about this great conference, but they're not receiving him. And all of a sudden he feels alienated. All of a sudden he feels like an outcast. So he begins to feel bad about what he heard. And before you know it, he just fall, he fell away. So he didn't come to church the next Sunday. He didn't come to Wednesday the next Sunday because he says, this, this God stuff is not getting me a promotion. It's not getting me favor. God, you said that you're for me, but, I, but it doesn't look like it. So he just falls away. He falls away. He falls away. That's a shallow heart, Jesus is saying. That's the heart of a person who has a shallow understanding of God and the gospel. A person who thinks that being called to the kingdom of God and called to follow Jesus means that everything is going to go our way. That people are going to like us. That people are going to accept us. When Jesus teaches us the the exact opposite, he says that you will be persecuted for following me. If the teacher is persecuted, then so will the students be. But this person, they are are rocky, just like the soil, they're rocky. And maybe that's you today. And you recognize, you know, that sounds like me. If things are going well, I'm walking well with the Lord. But when things start going bad, you don't see me. And and, and there's always those type of people. They're just so rocky. They, They come to church for a season, and then they disappear for a season. Everybody's like, where's this person? because they have a shallow understanding of what it means to be God. I'm not saying just not coming to church means that you're not a Christian or that you have a shallow understanding, but I'm saying that this is, this is what their life looks like most of the time. This is what their, their life is, is, is resounding or, or showing most of the time. So he's at the table. He's like, man, you know, God is, God is okay, but I don't understand why he didn't give me what I wanted. And, uh, you know, I'll be here when he's ready to, to accept me and love me the way I think I should be, a very selfish understanding of God. So the conversation right now at the coffee shop isn't going too well. So where there's a Jordan and where there's a Pippin, there's a Rodman. So Rodman is going to represent the third soil. Let's look at the Bible and see what Jesus talks about here. It says, verse number 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So so Robin is sitting here, and he's like, yeah, man, that conference, it was good. But let me tell y'all about this business opportunity I got, right? And the whole time, he's trying to convert them to his business because what he cares most about is his wealth and his riches. So they're talking about, Phil is trying to get them to talk about the word of God, and and one guy over here is talking about one thing, and he's talking about, and he's just talking about his riches. He's like, man, did you guys see this new car? Did you see this? And they're like, no, man. And Phil's like, man, did you you hear the message? Let's talk about how how are you playing the word? And he says, well, you know, I I did good for a week or two, but then work just picked up so, and I just said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll holler at Jesus later. So so his desire is to be wealthy. His desire is to be rich. The word is a hidden good soil, and he's not producing a fruitful life because he's distracted. The Bible says that it fell among thorns, which means that that the world is just choking. It's choking the word out of him. The lust for the world, the lust to be seen, the, the lust to be celebrated, the lust to be respected, the lust to be popular. 
The lust to be a, a, a famous mu- movie star or director or, or business owner is, is not allowing his heart to receive the good news of Jesus. It's not allowing his heart to be freed from living a life of bondage to stuff, a life of chasing the wind. It's not allowing him to. The issue with all three of these men is an issue of identity. It's an issue of identity. The issue of everyone, the issue of us when our hearts were hard. The issue of us when, when, when we were uh, thinking that life should go our way, and if it doesn't, then God's not faithful. The, the issue of, of us wanting to live in order that we would have wealth, in order that we would have riches, in order that we would have everything we want, is an issue of identity. For this young man, his identity is being accepted by others. He doesn't want to hear the gospel as he sits at this table because he knows that that, that hearing the gospel would mean that he is, is and walking according to the, the Lord's will and being according to the kingdom of God means that, that he'll have to surrender possibly his friends, surrender being accepted, surrender being cool. This person, he's worshiping, he's finding his identity in comfort. He just wants to be comfortable. And when things happen to him that makes him uncomfortable, he falls, he runs away. And this guy, he he just wants everything for himself now. His identity is found in stuff. Because he thinks that stuff, things, is going to satisfy his heart. But the fact is, is that's all of us, as we are born into this world, the Bible teaches that we are born thinking that something is going to save us. Maybe it's respect, maybe it's stuff, maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, Maybe it's, maybe it's a job or a career. We think that this thing is the very thing that's going to save us, but the Bible teaches that it's the very thing that's going to continue to deceive us and to lead us astray. Because our hearts were created to be saved by one, created to be fulfilled by one. And that's what Phil has experienced. The Bible says that there was one, the seed, when it was preached, it fell amongst good soil. It fell amongst good soil. And what does that look like in this text? But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word. So he heard the word, and this is a major emphasis in this text. All of them have heard the word. All of them have received the preached word, but it's what happens. What has they they done that's different? He says he has heard the word, and look what happens. And it says, and accepted it. And he bears fruit, 30-fold and and 60-fold and 100-fold. So Phil has heard the word, and he didn't just hear it. It didn't just bounce off. He accepted it. He hugged it. He embraced it. He said, this word is mine. I believe it. I am putting my trust in it. I believe that it is true. Now, he probably didn't believe it perfectly, for no one is perfect. And it doesn't mean that since the conference that he's been living perfect. No, he's had trials. He's had tribulations. He's had days where his faith just stunk. He's had days when his attitude probably stunk. But the difference from Phil and these other guys is that the word is working him. And Phil is growing to look more and more like Jesus over time. Not in three weeks time, but over his life. There is fruit. There's fruit. So what Jesus shows us here is simply amazing. He says the one by whom the word fell and the one by whom produced a, a, a good fruit or bare fruit. He says it's not just any kind of fruit. It's a miraculous fruit. 
It is a supernatural fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, all those who are, are good soil are those who experience a 30-fold return, a 60-fold return, and a 100-fold return. You guys can go. Appreciate it. Let's give them a, a round of applause. Amen. So Phil's life is showing, it's a, a miraculous return. And this is what I mean by that. When a, a person goes out and sows seed, this week I got a, a book for, uh, basically it was, it was farming for dummies, and I read it. <laughs> but the average seed, a great seed, is going to return, uh, they say, maybe ten times, tenfold. Jesus is saying, that those who are part of my kingdom, you're not going to have to wonder if they're a part of my kingdom. The evidence of their life is going to show and it's going to be dramatically different from everyone else around them. Jesus is saying that those who are part of my kingdom, those who, who, who love me, those who have been made to, uh, to love me, are those who, who are living separate from the world, who's not going along with the world, and who are progressively bearing more fruit. Now, we also want to notice in this text that everybody's not going to bear the same amount of fruit. So it's not a cookie-cutter approach. You know, the way you bear fruit may not be the way I bear fruit. The amount that you bear fruit in your life or the evidence of God working in your life is not going to be the same. The Bible says that there are a variety of gifts in the body. Your bearing fruit may look like you being a, 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 an usher and, and making people feel welcome and, and loving them and, and, and living courageously for God in that way. Mine may be from me having a, a preaching ministry and just being faithful week after week and preaching, but the fact of the matter is, is that everyone who's a part of the kingdom of God Looks like they're a part of the kingdom of God. So if you came over to my house and uh, to watch the football game, a football game, let's say a basketball game, and the basketball game was on ESPN, and you said, now, Rev, uh, Michigan State is playing Louisville now, and I want to make sure that we can watch the game. So you, you get that channel. I'm like, yeah, I got that channel. I'm with Comcast, man. Calm down. And you come over, and we're watching, looking for the, cha the channel that they're playing on on Comcast, and you say, uh, What's up with the game? Why are we getting uh, no signal here? <laughs> and I say, oh, I forgot. I don't have cable. You say, but I asked you, do you get the game? You say, yeah, but I don't have cable. Don't you have the I have the channel, but <laughs> just don't have cable. Either you're in the kingdom of God, and it's showing, <laughs> it's bearing fruit, or you're not. <laughs> Now, that's heavy, because even as I say that, some of you are probably like me when I hear messages like this, and you just feel like sitting, uh, sliding deep into your seat and hiding yourself. Because you, you know that there's areas in your life where you're falling short. <laughs> and you know that life is a struggle. And you're wondering to yourself, man, am I bearing fruit? Am I a Christian? And, and to those who are really wondering that and who are genuinely concerned about that and who, and you know you love the Lord, but you know you struggle, 
and you know you love the Lord because of the way you respond to the word, you, you can't look back over your life and you can't see that there is obedience, and you're not just saying, ah, I love the Lord, but I want to live any way I want to, I'm going to tell you to relax. Relax. Think about Jesus and remind, and remind yourself that, that God has saved you by grace. But there's some of us who, no matter what is said, we think that we're comfortable. And we hear this message. And we say, I'm going to be fine. And why you're saying you're going to be fine is because you think that one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to stand before his throne. And God's going to say, hey, why are you coming into my kingdom? That's not biblical, I'm just saying. And you're going to respond by saying, because I was a nice person or I was a good person. And I'm telling you, you need to listen up. Because Jesus is saying that is not what's going to get you into the kingdom of God. See, something is happening in Phil's life, in this good soil's life, that is not happening in the other's lives. And it actually has very little to do with Phil and more to do about God. Let's look at the text, and we're almost through. The text says, But those that are, were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Listen, good soil is not good soil because it's good soil. There are very few instances where good soil is naturally good soil, where a sower can just go out and say, here, I'm about to spread these seeds and, fruit and, a, and fruit's going to bear. No, good soil is good soil because there is a farmer, there is a person who has tilled the ground. Good soil is good soil because there is a, a person who has taken the time to plow it. The reason why we bear fruit as Christians, the reason why our lives are, are radically different and they radically change when we hear the word and the way we accept it is because of the grace of God and because of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that there was some good soil, but how did this good soil happen? This good soil happened because God, God saved this person. God saw Phil, and he saw that Phil could not save himself. He saw Phil that was, Phil was making a mess of his life. He saw that Phil was broken. And, and despite Phil, he said, I'm going to have mercy on Phil, and I'm going to break his hard heart. I'm going to protect him from Satan coming to steal this word. I am going to smooth over this rocky part of his heart. I am going, that's what the Bible talks about, regeneration, being born again by the Spirit. And every single person who is a Christian is a Christian, not because they just chose to be, and not because we just opened our own eyes, but we are a Christian and we are a believer because God chose us, he came and got us, he saved us, he put that shovel in the ground, and he began to till away. And when we hear the word preached, Mark chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus entered Galilee and he entered and he was preaching a message. He said the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is close. Life with God is here. Life with God is, is, is possible. And he says those who want life with God, repent and believe. Turn from a life committed to living for yourself and turn to a God who is graciously ready and willing and making you able to be saved. feel, dear Christian, that God 
so loved you that he came into your heart and did for you what you could not do for yourself. See, Phil can't sit at this table and look at the guys that's around this table and be judgmental. Because Phil can't take credit for himself. Because what has happened in his heart is what God has done in his heart. He can't, he can't, he can't look at Jordan and say, Jordan, man, you, you just lost, you just messed up, this don't make no sense, let me turn my nose at you. No, he's like, man, I understand that I was the same way, but God tilled my heart, he plowed my heart. And so many times as Christians, we look down on those who have a hard heart and we turn our nose up at them and we walk around as if we're better, as if we deserve or, or as if we earned what God has given. And God's like, you, silly Christian, I still love you, my child, but remember that I am the one who prepared your heart. Therefore, out of gratitude, out of the grace that you received, be fruitful. Live. Live as one who is free. Live as one who has received a word that sets them free. That's what's going on when you sit across the table and talk to an unsaved loved one whose heart is hard. That's what's going on with some of, your, some of our children. That's what's going on with some of our spouses. Their hearts are not open. And only God can open. And that's why as Christians we must live with a desperation that says, God, please reveal yourself to this person. Just as you did for me, Father God, show them. Show them your grace. Show them your love. Let them see that they are a sinner. Let them see that they willfully disobey you in order to build up their own kingdom. Let them see, Father God, that the wages of sin is death. But God, let them see that you have sent and given us a free gift, which is your Son, Jesus Christ. Let's talk about this good soil real quick, and let's look at what it means to, to bear fruit for Phil and for us. We'll notice that in each of these parables, we see Satan at work. We see one is committing idolatry by, by loving the things of this world. And we see that the other is committing idolatry by loving comfort. Well, the Bible teaches that those who are in the kingdom of God are those who are being made to hate the world less and to persevere during hard times more. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. Let's look at verse number 7. Jeremiah 17, verse number 7. So Phil, after he went to the conference, he, uh, he had some hard times. Satan was on his back. Satan knew that he received that word, but Satan couldn't get to him. And even in the midst of tribulation, he was able to prosper. Look at what Jeremiah chapter 17 Verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. That's what it means to be in a part of the kingdom of God. You trust God for salvation. You depend on God daily for growth and nourishment. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its root by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Wow. 
The person who is trusting God is a person whom God has given the grace, the grace of God, Titus chapter 2, is training that person in the midst of famine, in the midst of drought. God is training that person and making that person to be still and trust him. Do you you see that? Look at what it says. He is like a tree. He is planted. He's not moving. He may have some bad days like Job, and he may even sit and and pout a little bit and and, and at times be self-pity, but God's grace is going to snatch him out of it just like it did Job, and he's going to remind himself that God is sovereign and that he can trust God. And even in the midst of drought, what happens? He's not afraid. It says when the, when the heat comes, he's not afraid. He's not buckering. He's not going to say, hey, I'm not going back to church for three months because God hasn't given me what I want. And even in the midst of that, what's happening, his, his leaves, they're remaining green. That's what it means to bear fruit. It means that no matter what God is allowing you to go through, like Job, though he slay me, Even in the midst of God slaying us, we're going to trust him. We're going to remain still. But let me tell you something. That is less the work of of a person and more of the work of God. The reason a person is able to flourish in the midst of suffering and be green. Can you imagine just going uh, 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 to to a a city in the midst of of drought uh, where all the trees are dead? You just see one tree just planted there. And it's just green. That's what God is saying. In the midst of of your co-workers, in the midst of family members, they'll see that even when it seems that your world is falling apart, you are still able to praise God. You are still able to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. You are, are still fruitful. Why? Because God is still nourishing you through his spirit through his spirit. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If any man loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. That's another difference from Phil and other people. Is that while he sits at that table, he's longing, he's thirsty, he's like, Lord, just give me your word, just give me a piece <laughs> of your presence. And he's there, he's generally, he's like, yeah, let's, let's talk about the goodness of God. Let's dive deeper. Let's, let's talk more about Christ. And they want to talk about everything other than Christ, and especially the one who was uh, 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 sown among thorns. They want to talk about everything but Christ. They want to talk about the world and what the world can give. And feels like, I'm content. I'm satisfied. You know, I don't have to have this big mansion. I don't have to have a, a BMW. Yes, I want, my, I want to progress, and, and yes, I, I do. I, I wouldn't mind my business doing well, but it's not at the end goal for me to look better and to be able to go back to the hood and drive a nice car so everybody can look at me, but I want to be successful for God in order that I can praise him and bring other people to him and, and meet needs. It feels like, you know, I just want to go deeper in the Lord. It's a thirst there, and it's a thirst that he is not creating. It's a thirst that God is creating within him by his grace. Some of us in here, when, when we leave, we just kind of shrug the word off for a number of different reasons. Just like there's a number of different reasons. And that's dangerous. 
We don't look to apply it to our lives. The only time we look inward is when we're at church. Some of us, maybe we just come to church because it's the, the right thing to do. God is saying that I'm not trying, what, what the Bible is saying is not, I'm not just trying to make you a, a better person morally or a nicer person. He's saying that those who come to Christ and put their trust in Christ, that God, as the potter, is going to make you look more like Christ. There's a lot of nice people and moral people in here, people who have integrity. You don't necessarily need Jesus to have integrity or to be moral or to be nice. But you have to have Jesus to look more like Jesus. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. So as we sit here, we want to ponder it, Lord, and we want to pray, Lord, help me to produce fruit. Help me to produce fruit. Because kingdom citizens are those who are experiencing kingdom growth. It's those who can look back over their life and say, I used to be this way but now I'm this way. And if your used-to-be list is very small and hardly unnoticeable, it might be because you're just growing as a person. It might just be because you're just growing as a person. You're maturing with age. (laughs) Being a part of Christ is not just maturing with age. Being a part of Christ means that the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life and there's a dramatic difference in your life. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily the most charismatic person. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily a a cookie-cutter person. It doesn't mean that you're not a real person. We are real people. As a Christian, we are broken. We are people who are being fixed by the Lord daily. We make mistakes. We get annoyed. We get irritated. We have bad moments with our spouse. But we shouldn't be having the same exact bad moments that we were having five or ten years ago in the same exact way. Why? Because we are hearing the word. We are accepting the word. We are cherishing the word. Because God, by his grace, is fulfilling a promise in us to make us look more like his word. And by his word, I mean Christ. Galatians chapter 5. Start at... Verse 19, uh, Paul has just been talking about how there's a war going on, and the war is against the flesh, the carnal man, the the, the flesh is warring against the spirit. The old nature is warring against the spirit constantly in a believer's life. Verse number 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Sometimes we try to make that a very mystical thing. Led by the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit simply is another way to say being led by the Word. The Word of God was inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, it means that you are obeying, reading, and obeying God's Word more. Okay? It's the Spirit that is enabling you to do that because you are diving into God and diving into His Word. Listen to what it says. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before. Listen to this. That those who do such things will not inherit what? Do you hear that? What does Jesus come preaching? The kingdom of God is near. And he says, repent and believe. A Christian is a person who is being made to look more like Christ and less like themselves in their old nature. And if you're a Christian here today, and you can be summarized as being one of these things, and you've been in Christ for a long time, and you're comfortable with that, you want to rethink what kingdom are you a part of. If people see you and you're always jealous and always gossiping and, and they're okay with that because they say that's just her. And you've been that for years. I'm just saying you might want to check your fruit. Might be time for a fruit inspection. Now we're all broken. Your proclivity, your tendencies, your sins may not be mine. They may not. There may be some things that I struggle with as a Christian I will struggle with forever. But I should be growing in that area. I should be aware of that area. I should be learning to hate that area. Because when I said, yes, Lord, I want to be a part of your kingdom, I wasn't saying, yes, Lord, I'm ready because I'm perfect. I'm saying, yes, Lord, I know I'm a mess, but I hate it because you hate it. And I'm yours. Listen to this. Listen to the opposite. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Didn't just read, reading those words give you a sense of relaxation? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and his desires. They've crucified the flesh with his passions and desires because their Savior, their Lord, their God is the God who crucified himself for them. And God is saying, you are mine. And sometimes you're going to fight me. Sometimes you're not going to desire me. Sometimes you're going to want to run the opposite way when things get tough, but you are mine. I am going to pursue you. I am going to make you to love me. And this person, even in the midst of their trials, their tribulations, and their weakness, they are like a child daily saying, Lord, I don't want to, but Lord, I love you because of what you've done for me. And over time, they are being made to look more and more like Christ. Yes, they're going to have some valleys. Yes, they're going to have some times where they do feel like tripping and they may trip, but God is going to bring them right back. And they are going to grow to look more like Christ. And they are fighting. The fruit of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, hearing the Word, accepting the Word, means bearing fruit. And what fruit does it mean? It means looking like Christ. These are the qualities of our Savior. Are you experiencing that love in your relationship or your marriage? If there's two couples here today, and that doesn't mean perfectly, we are sinners being made and transformed and trained by grace, but if there are two Christians here today that both say they're Christians and you are religiously, religiously coming to church day after day, Sunday after Sunday, and you've been doing this for years, and your love for each other is growing cold, and your love for God has grown cold, you don't want to be comfortable with that. You just don't. 
I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm saying, but you don't want to be comfortable with that. You need to sit down with your spouse and say, hey, maybe my heart right now is not being good soil. And maybe yours isn't either. And sometimes we know that couples struggle because there are two types of soils in a relationship. There's a, a thorn and there's good soil. And the good soil is like, man, why won't he or she just straighten up and love Jesus? It's because when you married that person, they didn't love Jesus. But I want to encourage you to love that person. Walk in the spirit, walk in his word. Let God transform you to look like Galatians chapter 5, 22. Cry out to God, say, God, make me look more like Christ. And I'm telling you, if, if you cry out and you beg God and you are, are patient and, and faithful to hear and receive his word, God, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says that he can use you to soften that person's heart. And that husband or that wife that has a thorny heart can have a heart change. Oh, may the Lord make us all look like this. So Phil is experiencing growth in his relationships. People may not like him, but he still loves them. The Holy Spirit is, 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 is God. It's miraculous. It's power. It is. And we as Christians, we have to stop expecting and living as if we're normal people. We are normal in the sense that we're real, but we have a supernatural God who is able to do supernatural things in our hearts. When people wrong us, we serve a supernatural God that says you can forgive your enemy. You can love your enemy. We have to stop accepting the status quo and say, I'll never forgive that person. I'll never love that person. I'll never pray for my enemies. And say, Lord, I hear your word. Your word is telling me to do this because you can empower me to do this. Empower me to do this, Lord. I'm going to hide your word in my heart, and I'm going to love this coworker who gets on my last nerve. And over time, it doesn't happen overnight, God begins to soften your heart, and he begins to soften that coworker's heart or that friend's heart. And before you know it, that friend, that husband, that spouse, that, that sister who's your rival, it's saying, what in the world has happened to you? Matthew chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. So Jesus says, should, should a lamp be hid? The, the appropriate answer is no. A lamp was not created to be hidden. He's saying in the same way, the kingdom of God is not made to be hidden. Jesus is not made to be hidden. When Jesus is proclaimed, something happens. And what happens is that Jesus, uh, the revelation takes place. A Christian is a person who is, is, is constantly sitting under that lamp, constantly a part of this kingdom, constantly hearing Jesus. And revelation is constantly taking place in their heart. They're a person who says, this area is an area that I need to grow in. James says that the word of God is like a mirror. It shows us our, our, our weaknesses. And a Christian will never arrive on this side of earth. We, we don't. No matter how old you are, how long you've been in Christ, God should constantly be revealing areas in your life that you need to look more like Christ. 
Jesus says, when the word is preached, I expose your area where you need to grow. He says, if anyone has ear to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention for what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added. Jesus says, as a person, as a part of the kingdom of God, one of the qualities that you must do is listen closely. Listen to my voice closely. When you hear the word preach, accept it closely. Own it. Don't just throw it away. Don't say it's for that person. Say, Lord, are you speaking to me? Lord, where are you speaking to me? Lord, give me the grace to accept this and to grow in this area. We don't leave defeated. We leave knowing that God has exposed it because God is the one who's going to to help us to grow in that area. He says to one who is hearing, the one who is accepting the word, they are being made, they are are being uh, made to look like Jesus more and more. Jesus is adding understanding to them. Jesus is adding grace to them. But to the one who listens and who doesn't care and who says, ah, that's not for me, that's for everyone else, the Bible says that what they do understand will be taken from them. Will be taken from them. Instead of growing to look more like Christ, (laughs) they'll be going the opposite direction over time. So listen. Last thing I want us to look at is this. Accept the mad sower. Accept and love the mad sower. What in the world are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about. Anyone with farming sense reads this and says, why in the world did this person waste this seed? Why in the world is a person going out and intentionally just throwing seed (laughs) in areas where it looks like it's not going to be fruitful? And the reason why It's because God is a mad sower. God's word is so good that God says, my word can touch and break even the hardest of heart if I decide to plow it. And I'm so glad that he's a mad sower because my heart once was hard. And he chose to till it. He chose to make it hard. And someone chose to to look not at what I am or who I am, but to look at what the gospel can make me. And the reason you're here today is because this mad sower went out and he sowed a seed. And it hit your heart because he loved you. Look at God and say, Lord, you love me enough to turn my heart from being hard ground and to make it to being fruitful. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Whoever will believe in him, they shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is a message for the world. This is a message for the world to hear. Paul says, how will they hear unless a preacher preach? We want to accept this mad sower, and we want to be mad sowers. We want to be mad sowers at our job. We don't want to ever look at someone and say, there's no way that they'll be a part of the kingdom of God. There's no way that their lives will ever produce fruit. We want to say, God is able to save this person. Therefore, I am going to sow madly to this God who madly loves me. Find delight in this mad soul and be a mad soul. You know, many of us right now, we're looking at our lives like, man, (laughs) my life ain't bearing no fruit. I was looking at this text, I'm like, Lord, is this fruit? (laughs) Let me encourage you and say, most trees don't know how fruitful they are. 
There should be evidence in your life because you love God. And people in your life should be saying, encouraging, saying, there's, there's something different about you. But ultimately, God just calls us to be faithful and loving him and let him worry about how much fruit we're going to have and how fruit-filled we are. The story is told of a guy who's known as the George Street Revivalist. There was a preacher in uh, Crystal Palace Baptist Church in London. Great preacher. He often was invited to do revivals everywhere. And one Sunday when he finished up his sermon, uh, a guy stood up and said, Hey, uh, Pastor, do you mind if I share a testimony? And the pastor kind of reluctantly said, Yes but you have three minutes. And the guy stood up, and he began to share a testimony about how one day he was in Sydney, Australia, and a, a small little Caucasian gentleman came up to him and asked him, he says, are you saved? And he said, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? That's all he said to him. He turned around and walked away. The gentleman said that that just bothered him. It ate at him. And eventually, he gave his life to the Lord. He went to talk to someone, and he became a Christian. This pastor was like, wow, that's an interesting story. So the pastor, true story, begins to preach on a revival circuit, and he goes to a, 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 another place in Australia, and he hears someone, says, hey, I want to share a testimony with you. And this person has the same exact testimony, that they were in uh, Sydney, and they were on George Street, and a little guy came up to him and asked the same exact question, and that's why they're saved. The pastor then went all over. He went to Africa, and he went to India. And as he was holding these huge revivals where there are thousands of people, most revivals, people started saying the same thing. Let me share my testimony with you. There's a guy on George Street who asked me this question. That question ate at me. It ate at me. And then I gave my life to the Lord. The pastor even preached in Atlanta, Georgia. And someone in the United States had the same exact testimony. So he went back to Australia years and years later, and he preached in Australia. And after he preached in Australia, he asked someone, hey, have you ever heard of George Street? They're like, of course, George Street is this. It's a big, big, famous street. He said, hey, have you ever heard of this guy? They said, oh, yes. And they said his name. He said, yeah, we've heard of him. Everybody knows about him. And he took him to him. And he said, uh, he's no longer asking people this question because he's on his deathbed. And he went and visited the guy. The guy was very frail, very small, couldn't even really hold himself up. And he said, I am here because I have traveled the world and preached at revivals. And no matter where I go, people say that you just said this sentence to him. He says, let me explain something to you. I was in, uh, in, in the armed forces, and God saved me. I had a hard heart. I was a reprobate. And God broke my heart, and he made it soft. And I promised God, once I experienced his grace and came to know it, that every day I would walk up to 10 people and I would ask them this question. He said, every single day I just walked up to 10 people and I just asked that question. He said, now some days I missed and I didn't beat myself up and I wasn't legalistic about it, but I was just consistent in asking that question. And he said, before today, I had never received one testimony that people had got saved from me asking that question. He said, I had made up my mind that I was just going to be faithful 
to do my duty to share the goodness of God. God is not calling us to be superstars. He hasn't called us to be perfect. He, he knows that we are weak. He knows that our trials and our tribulations sometimes shake us up. But God is saying, dear child, just be faithful. Be a mad sower. And trust that I'll allow you to bear fruit. Maybe you'll see it on your deathbed. Or maybe you'll recognize it when the kingdom of God is finally here fully. Maybe you'll be able to look at Christ's face and he'll say, dear child, in the midst of tribulation, you didn't fall away. You remain faithful. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you truly are faithful. You truly are good. You truly, Father God, chose to sow into our hearts when we did not deserve it. We, Father God, were your enemies. And yet, Father God, you loved us enough to allow your word to be preached. You gave us the faith to accept your word. And you continue to allow us to grow by faith. For faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Help us not to be lackadaisical when we read our word. And when we are, Father God, don't let us stay there too long. Help us to become desperate and to know that your word is the very bread of life. Lord, we thank you because you are faithful. And those who are part of your kingdom, those who have repented and those who are throwing themselves at Jesus every day are being made to look more like your son in spite of ourselves. Thank you for your grace that, that saves us, that pursues us, and that will keep us until the coming of your son. Help us to grow in grace. Help us to bear fruit in our homes. Help us to bear fruit at our jobs. Help us to bear fruit when no one else is watching. And when we fall, help us to get up and to dust our, help us to, to know that you will pick us up and help us to, to dust that off and run towards you more because you love us. Lord, you are the mad sower who's not prejudiced, but who loves us according to your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.